Will you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, where we just had our scripture reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be examining verses 4 through 7 under the heading, Manifestations of God's Spirit. We are still on the front edge of studying this whole section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 through chapter 14, where the Apostle Paul addresses the issue of spiritual gifts. And in light of that, he says this, beginning in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The human body is an amazing organism. It's fascinating as you look at it, we see that there are 11 major organ systems in our body. In fact, there are 78 organs overall in the human body, and 10 of them are called essential vital organs. There are 30 trillion cells that all work in harmony to carry out all of the basic functions of our body necessary to survive. I don't know who counted them, but that's what I'm told. And there are 200 different types of cells in the human body. As we think of the organs of the human body, it's mind-boggling. For example, the human eye can differentiate, they tell us, between 10 million colors. And yet it is able to detect one single photon of light. The retina receives the light and then it converts it into chemical energy. Amazing. And then that chemical energy activates nerves that conduct the messages out of the eye into the higher regions of the brain. That's what's happening right now as you look at me and as you look at the text. Think about the pituitary gland. We know this gland very well because my dear wife, Nancy, a number of years ago had a cyst on her pituitary gland that was causing her to go blind. And they found it, and fortunately, they were able to remove it. But it is a pea-sized gland that sits in a protective bony enclosure right in the very center of your brain. It's attached to the base of the brain. And even though it is so small and hidden. It is commonly called the master gland because it secretes microscopic amounts of hormones that impact virtually every area of your bodily functions. Every organ, every system, every cell works together in perfect synergy and perfect harmony in such a way that it can cause the human body to not only write, but play a piano concerto. So that the human body 
can actually paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel so that the human body can invent machines that can take a man all the way to the moon and put him on it and bring him back. And also make machines that can help us not only see distant galaxies, but also see the microscopic components of DNA. The body's an amazing organism, is it not? Is it the natural selection process of evolution an amazing thing? I mean, just think about it. We could have been dung beetles, right? But we're not. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, he says, You, God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Dear friend, God has also made another organism that is exceedingly more amazing than the human body. And that organism is called the body of Christ, the church, a metaphor to describe the church of which Christ is the head. Now, like the human body, God created this organism and it cannot function if it is divided in its parts. It has to work together in synergy. It functions as a unified whole with intricate and elaborate interrelatedness and, and harmony. And it's made up of human beings that had to be born again. A spiritual resurrection from the dead had to take place while that person was still alive physically. Explain that one. And this required a supernatural recreation of the very nature of billions of human beings. The transformation of an entire nature. They had to be made a new creature in Christ. And when that happened, there was a spiritual union that was formed. A person is supernaturally made to be in Christ. In Christ, in that person. And then every member of this spiritual organism responds to its head, who is the creator and the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that isn't amazing enough, the entire triune Godhead then takes up residence in every member. You see, Christ is not simply with his church, he is in his church. And his church is in him. This body is made up of countless billions of people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, and together they make this organic whole. They become a living manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he is one who is joined to, or he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And together millions of people function in supernatural harmony, for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And with one heart, they pump the life blub 
lifeblood, the, the eternal life of God through the veins of this organism, if you will. An organism that will live for eternity, it will never die. But the myriad number of systems and organs and cells not only nourish and protect this supernatural organism, they also reproduce. This body bears spiritual fruit. And as we look at the Word of God, we see that there are three primary purposes of this body. Number one, to exalt God. Number two, to edify believers. And number three, to evangelize the lost. And perhaps the most astounding reality of, of all is that God not only created this supernatural organism, but he purchased it with his very blood. And he has promised to build it, to bless it, to preserve it, and to equip every member of this body with supernatural gifts. And then to give this body spiritual authority on earth, and to make it the spiritual nucleus of an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. Oh, dear Christian, what a miracle of miracles to be a part of the body of Christ. But oh, what a tragedy to see an individual cell of this body go rogue and function in ways that are destructive to himself or herself and to the body as a whole. And this is the Spirit's concern here in 1 Corinthians 12, actually through chapter 14. Some of the saints were acting like cancer cells, if you will, and wreaking havoc on the body of Christ. I mean, think about it. Cancer cells are typically caused by genetic mutation, and normal cells will divide in an orderly way to produce more cells, but only when the body needs them, but not so with cancer cells. Cancer cells will continue to recreate and make more, and then they will do this without control or without order. And we see this happening in the church at Corinth, and frankly, we see it happening in churches down through the centuries, including today. The the malignancy that we see even in evangelicalism is staggering. It's frightening. Cells and organs working independently of one another rather than working synergistically with one another, refusing to respond to the head. That was the problem at Corinth. They were operating in the flesh, not the spirit. And you will recall in our past studies that the saints there were bickering and fighting against each other because they were self-centered, they were divisive, and they were factious, slandering each other, even taking each other to court over petty things. Many could not separate themselves from the idolatrous and immoral culture in which they lived. Many abused their Christian liberty. Some were legalists. They besmirched the institution of marriage, came up with all kinds of ridiculous ideas and behaviors that needed correcting. They blurred the distinctions between maleness and femaleness, especially with respect to, to submission and authority. They abused the Lord's table. And because they were arrogant and overconfident, Paul says that, 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 that they were 
immature babes in Christ. They were worldly. They were fleshy. Therefore, they didn't have an ability to grasp the deeper truths of the Word of God in such a way as to not just understand them, but apply them to their lives. And with this kind of resume, it's little wonder that they misunderstood and abused spiritual gifts, which God gave them to express and to strengthen unity, the unity that they had in Christ. And it was doing just the opposite. Folks, whenever you see disunity in a church, know full well that these factors are at work somewhere amongst the members because divisiveness is always rooted in jealousy and jealousy will always produce strife. It will always divide. It will never unite. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19, remember, Paul says, for there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. In other words, divisive, factious people will always exist in a church. God allows this to happen so that he can make a contrast between the genuine and the fake, between the true and the false, between those who are walking in the spirit and those who are not. But if all of this wasn't bad enough in Corinth, they were also heavily influenced by the pagan mystery religions rooted in the ancient mother-son fertility god cult worship that came out of the Tower of Babel. Remember, Satan is the master counterfeiter who cleverly imitates that which is true with that which is false. And we discussed this at great length the last time. By the way, if you have not heard that particular exposition, you will simply not be able to understand going forward what the apostle has to say. That is extremely important background information. So please make sure you've heard that. You will recall that they believed in in sexual ecstasia. We get our word ecstasy from that, where they would get worked up and in an emotional frenzy in their idolatrous cultic worship services. They would use hypnotic chants and, and ceremonies until they experienced some kind of semi-conscious euphoric feeling of oneness with the god or the goddess that they worshipped. And then it would end up in a drunken orgy. They also practiced what was called enthusiasmos. We get our word enthusiasm from that. And that included things like like frenzied formulas and foretelling and divination, revelatory dreams and visions. And, of course, demons were all part of this whole thing. And both ecstasia and enthusiasmos, of course, are distinguishing marks of some of the extreme ends of the charismatic movement today. I've studied this um, over the years. I've seen it. I've been been in services like this. It's an amazing phenomenon to watch what happens. You know, the preacher gets the people all worked up and the lighting and the music has to be just right and people are expecting something to happen and they kind of know what's going to happen. And before you know it, you've got, especially some of the women, they're, they're carrying on, they're waving their arms and they begin to cry. And then before you know it, somebody begins to speak in tongues with nonsensical syllables and 
And then the women begin to line up. It's usually the women first. They line up and they come up to the stage to get slain in the spirit. And everything's getting worked up now. And the preacher will come up and touch them on the head. And they will fall backwards. And there will be men there to catch them. And then to cover them up. To, to protect their modesty. And whatever dignity they have left. And they will flop around on the floor there on the stage like like a catfish in a john boat, you know, and then they will pull them back and then the next ones will line up. And then all of a sudden, you know, other people will, will get excited and they'll begin to holler and maybe start running around uh, the, 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 the room and wailing and carrying on. And, you know, Fred Astaire gets a quiver in his liver. Now he's got to start dancing in the spirit. And then some other people, you know, begin to join. And, you know, before long... You see all of this chaos, and you've got a Mississippi squirrel revival. And you know what's sad, folks, is many people consider that the work of the Spirit. And even unbelievers can look at that and realize this is just a religious version of world wrestling. I mean, there's, there's nothing real going on here. But, oh, the power of Satan's seductions. I might also add that I've got dear friends that are in the charismatic movement. I love them. And not all charismatics are that extreme. Many of them are much more discreet, and they are radically opposed to some of what I just described. And although I would disagree with their understanding of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the role and the purpose of, of, of spiritual gifts, I would not be willing to break fellowship with them Many of them are frankly like the dear saints that we're going to share glory with right here in 1 Corinthians. Because they were doing these types of things in their own culture. And of course they were believers who loved Christ. They were just confused and deceived. But on the extreme end of that charismatic, certainly that Pentecostal oneness movement, are those that are so far outside the realm of of. Christian orthodoxy and orthopraxis that there's just no way that, that we could fellowship with them. So Paul knows that Satan is counterfeiting these spiritual gifts, these, the, 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 the supernatural manifestations of God's spirit within them. And so he's exhorting them now concerning the purpose of the gifts, the role of the gifts. Now, these are truths that, no doubt, he had taught them before in the year and a half that he had been with them. But for whatever reason, they had either forgotten them or false teachers had come in, and along with you know, people bringing all their baggage into the church from the culture. And, and so they needed a refresher course because they were perverting the gifts for their own glory. So Paul gives us a very clear outline here. I'll give it to you. He's going to look, number one, at the varieties of gifts. He's going to address the varieties of ministries, the varieties of effects, and then finally what I would call the animating power and purpose of the gifts. Now, please understand, Paul is going to portray the unity of source that animates the diversity of phenomena. That's the priority here. Yes, there are a myriad of ways that spiritual gifts can be manifested, many different ministries that can come out of them, many different effects, but, but the diversity is secondary to their fundamental unity, which is in Christ. 
through the power of the Spirit. So first of all, let's look at what he says about varieties of gifts. Notice verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. The term varieties comes from a Greek term that means dealings out or, or distributions, apportionments. That which God has allotted, that's the idea. So what we see here and in other passages is that God has generously and freely apportioned different kinds of gifts to different people. The term gifts is charisma, the term charisma in the original language, which refers to a present, a gift, a present as a sign of beneficent favor, a free gift of grace, for example, that comes from God alone like the gift of salvation. You remember this, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, there's the term, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, but Paul often uses the term here in the New Testament to refer to these supernatural divine enablements that he gives to every believer. These are special abilities to equip and to minister supernaturally to others, especially to other believers in the body of Christ. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then Peter goes on to give two very general, broad categories of spiritual gifts that are found today. He says in verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So here we see that every believer has been given at least one gift, if not many, and that is all determined by the Holy Spirit for, for his sovereign purposes. And that gift will predominantly be for the most part, either in the speaking or the serving category. Not that there aren't overlapping aspects of this, but predominantly people are either going to have speaking gifts or serving gifts. And over time, we'll understand this better. Now, a caution. Don't confuse this with natural talents or what sometimes I would call inherent aptitudes, natural abilities. Now, it's true that natural abilities come from God. But these go to believers as well as non-believers, right? Everybody has that. Everyone has certain innate abilities to perform a task at an above average level without much effort. Just comes natural to them. I mean, think about it. Some people are good with math or with art or with writing, speaking, athletics, music, drawing, inventing, acting, organizing, planning, synthesizing, analyzing, remembering, and on and on it goes. In fact, as I was thinking about this years ago, I did my doctoral dissertation on hemispheric dominance and inherent aptitudes, a correlational and factor analytic determination of their relationships in nature. In other words, what is the relationship between hemispheric dominance in the brain and natural abilities? You hear people are, well, I'm left brain. Well, I'm right brain. Well, to what extent is that true? Don't read it. It's really boring, and it's got a lot of math and statistics in it. 
I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't waste my time with it. By the way, there, there is a relationship. I mean, there, there truly is. I mean, it's amazing how God has made us. And, you know, I, I always hated my classmates that loved math. I mean, who loves math, right? But, oh, I laughed at them when they had to write a paper and read it. You know, you know how it works. Don't you envy those people that have a photographic memory? Oh, my goodness, I'd give anything if I had that. Or the person that, can, that could look at something and then draw it. Or look at nothing and draw it. I, I mean, how does anybody do that? Have you seen this three-dimensional artwork on sidewalks? If you haven't, you need to look it up. I mean, it, it, is, it is amazing that anybody has the natural talent to do that. Or like my nephew who, can, who, who competes in these Rubik's Cube contests. And you can get them all confused, give it to him, 15 seconds, he's got it. I mean, how does anybody do that? I mean, you throw it up in the air. I can shoot it with just about anything, right? <laughs> or, or I can look at it and study it and write a novel on how stupid the whole thing is, but I can't solve it. I mean, we all know about natural talents. Some people are totally tone deaf, and others are close to it but maybe don't know it. And then others have perfect pitch or relatively perfect pitch. And some people have a beautiful voice and others don't and so on and so forth. You know how it works. Well, you get the point. You see, natural talents are given to everyone when he or she is born. Spiritual gifts, on the other hand, are given to believers when he or she is born again. So there's a big difference. If you are in Christ, the Spirit of God is in you. There's no such thing as the Spirit of God coming upon you and being baptized in the Spirit later on. That's a heresy. Look at Romans 8, 9, for example. But if you're in Christ, when you've been born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and he has supernaturally given you, at that moment, special abilities for ministry. It's an exciting thing. Now, people will often ask, well, how can I know what my spiritual gift or gifts is? Should I take one of these tests to help me discover my spiritual gift? No, don't do that. Let me explain why. And let me tell you a better way. First of all, we know as we look at this that there are varieties of gifts, right? Um, There's no clear-cut categories in Scripture that you're just this or you're just this. Uh, there's, there's overlapping combinations. And as we look at Scripture, and you will see this more in days to come, there are essentially 18 categories of spiritual gifts grouped in four different sections. But no one is exclusively one to the exclusion of something else, except for those gifts that are not operative today in the church. So think of the biblical categories that we see in Scripture, and I've read some of them to you this morning. Think of them as the primary and secondary colors that would be on an artist's palette where you can take them and mix them together into millions of different colors. Every gift is like a fingerprint. No two are alike. Every gift and every person in the body of Christ is like a snowflake. And I say that in the good sense of the term. Because I realize in my culture, or our culture today, a snowflake means something very different 
than it did when I was growing up. So you know what I'm saying here. Now, just to give you an overview, you don't have to write this down. I'm going to give you a handout eventually. If you look at the New Testament, you see there are 18 categories. Apostleship, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, affecting miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, evangelism, teaching, pastor teaching, exhortation, helps, showing ministry, giving, and governing. And a lot of the tests that are out there are kind of inventories that kind of help you see where you stand. By the way, I'm not saying that it's heretical to do this. I'm just saying that, it, that it's dangerous, and I'll explain why. Because what happens is you will receive a label. Oh, everybody loves a label, don't they? That's how it works. You get a label. Well, what are you? Helps. Well, what are you? Evangelism. I'm exhortation. I'm showing mercy. What about you, Mildred? Governing. <laughs> and her husband said, you got that right. <laughs> what about you, Florence? And it goes up a little bit. Tongues. Oh, really? Well, Jessie Pearl doesn't like that, so she says, I'm word of wisdom. And her husband says, well, I'm word of knowledge. You know how it goes. And then, you know, big Billy bag of donuts comes walking in and he's got a sign on him that says apostle. That's how it works. I mean, how do you top apostle, right? I guess you could pope. I don't know. But the danger is we begin to categorize these things and, and we kind of see ourselves in this little box. And frankly, what I've seen happen is people that have the serving gifts are typically a little downcast because they wish they had the more prominent speaking gifts. And the speaking gift people are a little proud because they've got that gift. And You see how it works? I mean, folks, we just got to be honest. That, that, that's how these things can work out. And it's just so wrong. You know, it's like the pituitary gland being upset because it's not the eye or something. Now, how do you discover your spiritual gift? Folks, the answer is real simple. Get serious about surrendering your life completely to the Spirit's control and get involved in ministry. And then watch where God blesses you. You see, it is never up to you to determine what your spiritual gift is. It is up to other people who benefit from that gift and who are blessed by that gift. That's how you determine your gift. For example, somebody might say, well, I, I, I think I've got the gift of teaching. Okay, really? Do you? Maybe you do. I mean, do other people affirm you in that, or do you just like to teach? Folks, there's a lot of people that really like to teach, but people don't like to listen. Well, I think I have the gift of exhortation, and I need to be a biblical counselor. Well, really? Well, has, has God demonstrated that to you? Do you have the ability to shepherd people? Do people naturally come to you for advice, for spiritual direction? Would others agree that you have an unusual ability to persuade people to change their behavior? Do people seek out your advice? Do others respond to your, to your warnings and your corrections and seek you out for strengthening and encouragement? You see, see how that works? Well, I have the gift of mercy. Well, okay, great. 
If we look at that, we would see that that's basically the, the ability to, the long-term ability and patience just to be with people and relieve them in, in times of distress. Those that just love to stay beside other people in their misery and in their pain. Aren't you glad we've got people like that? And I know many of you are that way. And I praise God for that. If you think you've got that category of giftedness, you have to ask, well, do, do, do I really love others and love to be by their side during those times and they love to have me there? You know, I'll confess, that's, I'm not real good with that. I, I can be there short term, but not long term. I, I get a little fidgety. It starts getting stressful for me. Other people, it doesn't bother. And in my flesh, I have a tendency to tell people to get their thumb out of their mouth and cowboy up, you know. And that, that, that's wrong. Aren't you glad you don't have me for a doctor, right? <laughs> so there's a varieties of gifts. That's the point. But there's also, he says, varieties of ministries. He says in verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries. Ministry is a term that, that, that carries the idea of service. Ministries to serve. It's like Jesus said in Matthew 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's the idea. There's a variety of ways that this happens and always comes from the same Lord. You see, spiritual gifts are like spiritual tools Special tools for ministry that can be used in countless different ways. Countless opportunities for ministry in the body of Christ. Again, 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, as I read earlier, Peter says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And that can happen in a myriad of different ways. Many different ministry opportunities. You know, as God raises up our young people... And as he saves them by his grace, it's exciting to see how he begins to use them and to shape them in the body of Christ. And as parents, you know, we begin to observe these things and we help them discover more ways of, 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 of functioning in the body, of ministering. And we see those gifts begin to develop. And then as ministry opportunities um, present themselves. We encourage them to get involved. And then you just watch the Spirit do what only He can do. I have no doubt that some of you, dear ladies, have the gift of evangelism. And perhaps you use that here at Calvary Bible Church. Perhaps you will use it on a mission field. Perhaps you're going to co-labor with a husband who will be a church planner. Who knows? There's so many different types of ministries. I I'm sure that there are gifted young men in this church. Some of them may be real little. But won't it be interesting to see as you young men become older and more mature, you'll see how your gift is manifested. Some of you are, are going to serve in unique ways as, as faithful laymen, as deacons, as elders, as, as godly businessmen. You're going to serve Christ in your family. You're going to serve Christ in, in your construction job or, or as a plumber, a truck driver, a, a, a fireman, a farmer, whatever it is. And then others of you are going to have speaking gifts and, and you're, you're going to be able to, to understand things and communicate them as maybe a teacher or a pastor or an evangelist. 
I remember when I was a young boy, I had the natural talent, a natural talent in music. I, I was a gifted pianist, as most of you have heard the story. And I was being groomed to be a concert pianist. But that wasn't my spiritual gift, and that wasn't my passion. I remember youth leaders and pastors talking about how I had a unique ability to see the word, understand it, and communicate it. People were always seeking me out. I was just flooded with opportunities while I was practicing Chopin and Liszt. And in the providence of God, he orchestrated the circumstances in my life to a place to where he, he finally made it very clear what I was to do. And part of that included crippling the little finger on my left hand so I could never play the piano like that again. Beloved, the, the point here is this. Employing the spiritual gifts that God has given us is serious business so that we can function appropriately in the body of Christ. You will never be happy and fulfilled unless you do that. And we will never enjoy the blessing that you can give us as being a part of the body, functioning in that way. Now, bear in mind that natural talents and experience can pave the way for uniqueness in ministry. But dear friends, it's spiritual gifts that produce the effectiveness in ministry. When God saves someone, it's exciting to watch them begin to grow in Christ and get involved in the church and see where God uses them. And I love it when God brings new people to the church, and we've had several over the past few months. I always think and talk to the elders, it's going to be fun to see where God uses these people because God knows in this particular part of the spiritual organism of the body of Christ, we need these new gifts that are coming in, and it's our responsibility to help them, you know, develop them and use them, etc. It's always an exciting thing. But again, there's going to be varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries. They're going to be the gifts, the, the main sections under speaking gifts and serving gifts are these. Under speaking gifts, evangelism, teaching, pastor teaching, and exhortation. Those are the, the four kind of main categories. And under serving gifts, which support the speaking gifts, right? Speaking gifts can't exist without the serving gifts. The serving gifts help them be more effective. And those are helps, showing mercy, giving, and governing. Now, think of the thousand ministry opportunities that are available in this. I'm just going to rattle off a few examples. For example, if if someone really has the gift of giving, which is, as we study it later, we'll see it's just the, the sacrificing of yourself, sharing and imparting that which is yours to others in the body of Christ. It, it includes investing material substance as well in, in spiritual undertakings to help maximize the, the spiritual dividends. And there's an infinite number of opportunities for that to happen. The Lord has gifted some of you to minister to children. And think of the varieties of ministries in which you can do that. Caring for babies in the nursery teaching children in Sunday school, Awana, serving in in orphanages, teaching Christian schools, mission organizations, whatever. Some of you will have a real gift in the area of of evangelism. It's like wherever you go, you're just 
proclaiming Christ. Now, we should all do that, and we all have some measure of that, but some people are especially gifted there. They have the persuasive power by the Spirit to affect the will more than the intellect. And this includes missionaries and church planners. And then there are those that have teaching gifts. And that gift, as we see it in Scripture, is the ability to not only grasp but arrange and present divine truth effectively and in an organized manner so that you begin to to address the intellect of a person and it begins to move them so that their behaviors change. Some of you are going to be gifted in the original languages. You're going to understand and organize complex, complex theological concepts and you're going to be Everything from scholars to university professors to pastors to writers, whatever. So there's a variety of ministries with all of the gifts. I've given you just a few samples. But also, number three, there's varieties of effects. Notice in verse 6, there are varieties of effects. But the same God who works all things and all persons. Effects comes from a Greek term, um, energema. It, It... it carries the idea of, of implementation, of, of the, the, the practical ways of accomplishing something, carrying something into effect, that which is worked out or energized. And so what he's saying here is, is God is the supernatural power source that makes our gifts effective. We can't do it in the flesh. You remember in John 15, Jesus has that amazing description here of the vine and the branches and how we are to abide in him. Otherwise, we we can't produce any fruit. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to bear much fruit. And so in order to do that, he says in beginning in verse 9, abide in my love. And here's how you do it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And he goes on to say, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, that's what the Lord wants for us. I want you to maintain an intimate relationship with me. I want you to be obedient to all that, that, that I have taught you in the word. And, <coughs> and when that happens, you're going to be effective. You're going to bear much fruit. Not only that, my joy is going to be in you. You see, our spiritual giftedness will be utterly ineffective if we're not walking by the Spirit, if we're not controlled by the Spirit. If we've got areas of sin in our life that we're just not dealing with. I mean, we've all got sin we don't see, but, but my goodness, you've got areas you're not dealing with. You, your, your spiritual gift isn't going to be effective. You're going to end up operating in the flesh and not the Spirit. And I've seen many gifted believers who leave a trail of corpses behind them. Because they're walking in the flesh, not the spirit. The issue isn't their gift. The issue is their flesh. It's for this reason that it's crucial that we are committed to a personal pursuit of holiness. Hebrews 12, 1, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. But beyond this, dear friends, we must all remember that we all don't have the exact same 
gifts or ministries or effects. They're all going to be different. And that's all determined by an all-wise and sovereign God. But whatever he has given us, we need to be faithful in using that. Some will have very public ministries with much notoriety, but frankly, most will serve their entire life in utter obscurity. You've got to be happy with that. Folks, the rewards come in glory, right? That's what you look for. And that's okay. So you don't seek the showy gift and the showy ministry, you know, for some showy effect. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were wanting to get the attention, all eyes on me. I remember a musical concert that that we hosted. Some of you, I think, were there. I'm sure some of you were. And right in the middle of the concert, all of a sudden, there was a in the back who raised up her hands, and she started speaking in tongues real loud, and it just shut the place down, just completely shut it down. And since I was kind of like the host and the senior minister there, people were looking at me. I'm in the front of the auditorium. She's in the back carrying on, and, well, it's my responsibility to do something. So I took a deep breath and got up and walked back, and, of course, every eye in the auditorium was on me. It's like, what is going to happen here? And as I went back to the woman, I I noticed that as her hands were up, she was looking at me out of the corner of her eye. She saw me coming, and and as I approached her, she got louder and louder. And and so I confronted her quietly and calmly as I got up close to her, and she got real aggressive and got even louder. And then... Finally, she said to me, you silence me, you silence God. Just about like that. For a moment, I thought she mistook me for her husband. I wasn't sure what was going on there, but boy, she she was a vicious lady. And I knew there was something demonic going on there. I've been around this before, and so I tried to be quiet, but I got right in her ears, her hands were up, and And uh, the Lord gave me the words to speak to her and suffice it to say that God set her down hard and shut her up immediately. And I was able to call someone to come sit with her and to give her the gospel, which he did, because I'm sure she didn't know Christ. But that's what happens, folks. People look for these showy things and they think the spirits at work and other people put up with that type of stuff. It cannot be tolerated in the church. It's counterfeit. Beloved, don't try to be something you're not. Don't envy the gifts that God has given to other people and maybe not to you. Don't seek the dramatic gifts. Realize that God has uniquely designed you for his eternal purposes. The spiritual gifts aren't about you, right? They're about the rest of the body. Well, finally, we look at the animating power and purpose of the gifts. He says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Manifestation is a term that that speaks of, of that which is a clear indication of the existence or the presence of something. And in this case, it's a clear indication of the presence and the work of the Spirit of God in a person within the body for the glory of Christ. 
It says, and for the common good, uh, a term that, that speaks of, of, of that which brings other things together. And the common good here, it's the edification of the church. You see, the Spirit is the one that produces visible effects of his transforming power for the profit of everyone, not for the profit of the one who has the gift. Now, when we use our gifts properly, we're going to be blessed. A Christian will never be happy until he is a square peg in a square hole. If you're a square peg in a round hole, you're not going to be happy. We're not going to be blessed. But when we use our gifts properly, boy, our flame sets others on fire, doesn't it? I mean, I think about it as, as a, you know, having the gift of a, of a pastor teacher um, you know, I'm, I'm called and gifted by God's grace to understand the word, to present the word, to minister and to shepherd for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.12. And, and what happens when I use my gift? It ignites yours, right? And then you function within the body and, and you help me, I help you, we help each other. It's an amazing things to, thing to watch. And, of course, a weak pulpit is going to produce a weak congregation. Well, I want to close with just some practical application. Let me give you three, three areas where people misuse gifts. By the way, there, there's three things as we look at Scripture that destroy a church. False doctrine, sin, and the misuse of gifts. And all three were at work in, in Corinth, and therefore the body was crippled. So let me give you three areas where, three examples of how you can misuse your gift. Number one is failing to serve in the body. Being a lone ranger Christian, not being involved. Uh, you find fault with this, that, and four other things. You're always going to find fault in the church. We're a bunch of sinners. Well, yeah, I just don't want to get involved. And so you have ways of justifying your isolation. Or perhaps you're in a church and, and for whatever reason you're just not allowed to serve within the realm of your giftedness because other people have a monopoly on that. And we as elders have to be careful with that. Or perhaps, for example, a godly young woman who is a gifted Bible teacher isn't allowed to serve because there's no opportunity to teach and then they get frustrated and so forth. A second area where we can misuse our gifts and abuse them is serving outside the realm of your giftedness the square peg in a round hole concept. You've got maybe serving gifts, you're trying to be, you're trying to function in the speaking gift realm or maybe vice versa. Like for example, you want to be a biblical counselor. Well, you ha you, a biblical counselor has to have um, serving gifts, but, may, but you also need some speaking gifts, right? And maybe you don't have that and maybe that person is very limited in, in his or her ability to teach and exhort and exercise biblical discernment. Or maybe it's a Sunday school teacher or a women's Bible study teacher that, 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 that people would never choose to be their teacher if they had a choice. Or maybe you've got an elder that's a wonderful servant and loves people, but he has no ability to shepherd, to teach, or to apply the Word of God. Or a pastor who is a great communicator, and, and he loves people, but he has no ability to rightly divide the word and to communicate those truths, to exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict, serving outside the realm of his giftedness. Or a missionary who has strong teaching and preaching gifts, but struggles with 
mercy and serving. And so when people, as they often do on a mission field, need somebody just to care for them and serve them, all of a sudden they get a seminary professor. Or take a seminary professor, and I've got a lot of friends that are this way, and try to put them in a pastoral situation. Man, the whole thing blows up within no time, and they'll admit that. So you want to make sure you're serving inside the realm of your giftedness, not outside. And then finally, when you operate in the flesh and not the spirit, I've already alluded to that. That disqualifies you because of sin. You've grieved the spirit. You've quenched the spirit in your life. I mean, think of, of, for example, a biblical counselor that is arrogant, that is condescending and controlling. God's not going to use that person. Or a pastor who drives his sheep like a butcher rather than shepherds them and leads them. Women who have serving gifts, perhaps, but they love to gossip. And they talk about themselves or their children nonstop. Or the Sunday school teacher that's addicted to pornography. Maybe has great teaching gifts, but the sin will silence them. The student ministry wife who, 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 who controls and ridicules her, her husband and who just lives on Facebook. The unforgiving children's ministry worker with a chip on her shoulder or an angry missionary who, whose heart is filled with bitterness and, and discontentment. Folks, as we close this morning, just think of this. God in his infinite love and mercy and grace and wisdom has given each of us certain supernatural abilities to function within the body. And when we do that, there is such power, there is such love, there is such fellowship, there is such blessing, and there is such effectiveness in the body of Christ. And that's where we find ourselves just coming alive as Christians. But when this is not working as it should, there is weakness There's disunity, there's chaos, there's sorrow, there's failure. So let's be thankful for for what the Lord has given us, right? And let's stay involved in ministry and see where other people are being blessed. And then let's just pour ourselves into our service for Christ and watch him help us not only discover but develop and use our gifts for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths. Cause them to bear much fruit in each of our lives, I ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.